Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future Tech Podcast. My name is Chris Ambler. And our guest today is Stan Larimer with Cryptonomics. Hi, Stan. How are you? Hey, really good. Awesome. Stan, tell us about how you tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I spent uh, 36 years in the aerospace industry doing unmanned air, ground, sea, and space vehicles. Retired from that industry about the same time as my son was inventing bit shares. He got some funding from a Chinese investor to get it started. Asked me to come out of retirement run the company while he did the inventing. And as he's finished bit shares and moved on to do Steemit and, and now EOS, he turned the uh, you know, day-to-day promotion and uh, you know, oversight of bit shares over to me. BitShares is an independent company, but you know somebody has to you know look after it or promote it or tell everybody about it and, and pursue adoption. So that's what I've been working on for the past uh, few years is just telling people what BitShares is good for, and that's what I was doing today. Very good. Uh, tell us about Cryptonomics. Well, Cryptonomics was a company that was uh, formed by the people who had originally developed the code for BitShares, the original version of BitShares. Uh, but when that was done, um, we were pretty much out of uh, our original funding and wanted to proceed and, and do a, a new improved version of the code. And uh, since we didn't have much money to pay people, we created a sweat equity shop, you might say, and that's what okay. Cryptonomics was. We built uh, BitShares 2.0, which was blazingly much faster and better all around. And then now, uh, once that was done, people went on to do Steemit. Uh, I stayed behind with that company looking for other things to partner with. We shifted our mode from being a software development company to being a joint venture development company. And since then, we've done about uh, five joint ventures uh, Facing pairing our t- technology up with other companies to uh, create new interesting uh, spinoffs. Very interesting. What's the uh, what's the most interesting spinoff that you well the most well known the most well known spinoff was the first one, which is Steemit, which is now you know the single most active blockchain in the entire industry. So that would be the most famous, probably the most significant one. Now it, it's difficult to say because there's so many good ones. But let's let's just go with Quintric. It went live today. And it is a gold-backed legal, legal tender coin that runs on the BitShares network. So it's got all the performance of BitShares, but it's a gold-backed coin. It's a coin that's legal tender in the state of Utah. Wow, that's very unique. Tell us the name of that again. Quintric, Q-U-I-N-T-R-I-C dot com. And very the unique. actual name of the coin, there's a whole family of them, but, but the Quint is the one that is backed by the... Uh, U.S. Mint's uh, Gold Eagle, and um, so there's a whole big white paper on that website that you can look at to see just how cool it is. Regulatory, compliant, uh, a beautiful piece of design uh, on top of, you know, the BitShares token, which was an easy thing to do, but the uh, getting the legal thing right and the, and the quality up there to be a, a premium coin that we think will really catch on. Um, that that was a work of engineering of the United Precious Metals Association. The people that actually got the laws in the state of Utah uh, changed to be favorable to gold as a legal, t- legal tender. That's fascinating. 
Now, I, I understand that you spoke at the Bitcoin Super Conference recently. Is that correct? Yes, they let me back clean up. I was the very last speaker at the conference. Oh, nice. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about your talk there. Well, uh, I, the basic topic was to uh, make everybody aware of the fact that there's different ways of determining who's the number one currency out there. Most people think that uh, you measure your rank in the industry by being number one on market cap at coinmarketcap.com, for example, and that uh, it's all about getting a big market cap. Uh, you know, that's one metric, but I pointed out by asking the audience, how many of you think Bitcoin's number one? And about a third of them raised their hands. I asked, how many think Ethereum's number one? And a third of them raised their hands. And they said, well, what about some other blockchain? And the remainder raised their hands. And I said, see, this is not just about being tribal. Each one of you have a different criteria for what's number one. So those from the Ethereum camp, you're probably thinking that the, the flexibility and uh, uh, you know large developer community is the thing that makes it number one in your eyes, even if it's not number one in market cap. And those on other blockchains are looking for other things. And I pointed out to them that uh, one of the big categories, the one I thought most important, was uh, performance. And so I went on to give a presentation talking about well, the most active blockchains and which was the highest performance. And uh, of course, that brought out and highlighted that the blockchains developed by Dan Larimer, Steam and BitShares, uh, together processed two-thirds of all the transactions into industry, twice as many as the rest of the industry combined. And they do that because they're very efficient. And uh, so quietly, while they haven't been getting a lot of attention, they have kind of taken over and crowded out the mining-based system. What was the audience reaction to that? Well, I was surprised because, you know, I, I sort of warned them. Guys, uh, you know, I might have to be escorted off of here after I, I tell you what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> There'll probably be a, you know, pitchfork and torch mob down here uh, ready to run me off the stage. But, in fact, the exact opposite thing happened. When my time was up, I was swarmed by people who wanted to ask questions about bit shares and everything. And just tons of well-wishers and not a single uh, discouraging world. So I'm not sure uh, why that got such a good response, but it made me feel good. Nice. I noticed at the conference that um, that was that was fairly common after each of the presentations that I witnessed. Um, lots of information being put out there by the speakers, fantastic information, and some um, some su surprises in the presentations as well. And then immediately after, everyone came in and closed in on the speakers to find out more and get their questions answered. Um, so it's it's so exciting to see and see that interest level. Um, can you share with us maybe a question that one of those um, you know post talk people asked that you remember answering? Well, one of the questions that they were all curious about was you know Dan's latest project, which is EOS, and of course they've raised something like a billion dollars and uh, you know got a really good team of uh, people who are doing it right. I mean Dan has always had strong technical development, but hasn't had much in the way of marketing or, or alliance builders. And, and he's now uh, allied with people who know how to do that. And it certainly makes a difference. So you can see that. And so there's some concern from his previous projects is, is this going to drown them out? Uh, you know, is it going to, you know, what's the impact of his new project? And so I was sharing with them some of the, the uh, plans we have going on how to take advantage of that new technology to make sure that uh, BitShares remains relevant. Uh, and uh, you know, one of the things BitShares has going for it is the uh, you know, most used decentralized exchange 
is uh, that bit of a head start and then some of the new products and projects that we're bringing to it between now and then mean that it it, uh, it will have a head start on anything that tries to use EOS technology. And we're funding uh, some work to figure out how to bring that EOS technology in the most efficient way into benefiting the BitShares community. In fact, I like to kid Dan about it and say, you know, every time he's, uh, you know, smiling about the success he's having with EOS, I say, well, you guys realize you're just the R&D department for BitShares and uh, you know, whatever you guys <laughs> develop, you know, we'll be happy to include in what we're doing. So I shared with them some thoughts about uh, what we saw as a way of uh, interfacing and more, more than, I wouldn't call it so much as upgrading, as interfacing uh, BitShares and EOS to, to produce something that is better together than apart. It incre increases the value of both. So that's what we've got some of the original developers of BitShares are currently now uh, on contract with me or about to sign a contract with me, I should say, to uh, do the development work necessary to uh, make sure that BitShares benefits completely and maximally from what EOS is doing while leveraging all the cool new products that we're bringing on BitShares while we're waiting. Now, you mentioned plans to take advantage. Can you, um, can you give us kind of a preview of some of those plans? Well, there's several different ways that that you could take advantage of, of uh, it. Right now, first off, uh, I would call grand unification. There's uh, innovations spread across, across the different chains, things we would like to do to BitShares, things that Steemit has that should be incorporated into BitShares, uh, some innovations that a couple other uh, third-party chains uh, have uh, built that we want to include, and then, of course, all the massive new technology uh, from EOS. Uh, you could build a new version of BitShares with that stuff in it sitting on top of EOS, uh, or you could clone EOS and build it with EOS but have it be separate, or you could set it up as a direct sidechain uh, to EOS, which allows you know, cross-chain communication, which is one of the things that it provides. Or we could take and say, now let's do a middle chain that uh, you know, can talk to the language of both chains without disturbing the original BitShares chain, but adding all the other functionality uh, and uh, providing the necessary access into what EOS is going to offer. And we're exploring the middle chain uh, concept right now as being uh, the way that gives us the most flexibility in order to implement stuff that's missing from BitShares that can't be on BitShares because of its philosophical underpinnings, but is still needed. And that's uh, things that had to do with extra rigid or ruthless or uh, serious uh, regulatory compliance. Because what we want to do is make uh, the following change to BitShares. What BitShares has been the first industrial grade blockchain out there that has the raw capacity to handle industrial applications and run in real time. Now we're going for institutional grade, uh, putting the features into it that allow big institutions to invest with comfort. And so uh, some of those things that institutions need in order to use the blockchain are contrary to what, let's say, libertarians might want to see in a blockchain. And we don't want to undo what we accomplished in terms of a, a nice freedom-loving blockchain that's uh, able to serve every uh, jurisdiction on the planet, those that are strict and those that are not. Uh, BitShares was designed to permit that but we now want to go for making a comfortable environment for the big institutions who absolutely have to be compliant 
globally. And so we'll be looking at some of those features as well. Are those features for the institutionals more based on compliancy or um, give us an example of that? Well, well, the type of features for uh, uh, identity management and uh, KYC, AML, that's know your customer, anti-money laundering regulations, uh, that's highly important. Uh, the ability for the blockchain to recognize where a particular user is located by an IP version so that the blockchain can have some degree of built-in enforcement of the constraints of those uh, regions. So there's you know, that kind of stuff that can be put in. Uh, also, the ability to have uh, higher quality nodes uh, managed by institutions uh, that can be uh, wor working and operating alongside the uh, grassroots kind of nodes that are elected by the population. We don't want to change anything about what BitShares is doing or how it works, but we want to augment that chain with a parallel chain that uh, that can support and, uh, and, and cross-link, and then both those chains be able to then, through the middle chain, be able to access the new services and features of EOS. Now, all of that is a vision. You know, it's up to the engineering team and the community, debate it and figure out what makes the best sense and how it should work. And I'm not trying to dictate that. I just want BitShares to remain number one. And so the first rule under this contract is first, do no harm to BitShares. And then after we have established that, what can we do to add and bring new traffic and new users and new features to BitShares uh, without undoing what it has become as we want it to continue to fill that niche in a robust way. So from industrial to institutional, what's beyond that? Well, you know, institutional is, you know, the gold standard, right? It's the kind of thing that says somebody who's got a fiduciary responsibility to uh, big investors and has, you know, billions or more to invest needs to know that things are, are going to be something that they can count on to put their investors' money into. And so they have to, you know, be extra, extra careful about what they do with their money. And so if you don't provide them with a way of doing the necessary, you know, due process and fiduciary responsibility, they can't join. And of course, if they can join, they can bring huge amounts of liquidity into the system that should benefit everybody and you know, grow the value of the platform and the adoption of the platform. So uh, we got to make it easy for them to pick up and use. Uh, interestingly enough, there's the viewpoint of the big banks that say, well, you know, we'll take care of the blockchain for institutional investors. But of course, their first uh, knee-jerk reaction is to make it centralized, in which case you don't need a blockchain. A blockchain is only needed because you want to decentralize and get rid of a middleman. If a bank says, I'm going to make a blockchain where I control all the nodes, then what's the point? So to make an institutional blockchain requires an understanding of what a blockchain is for and what it means to be decentralized while providing the kind of uh, protection for the investor that institutions have to have if they're going to adopt it. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I'm curious about, especially the banks, bank standpoint, what do you think is their um, their vision for adoption of blockchain technology? Well, you know, uh, I think each one of them, they got deep pockets, but unfortunately, <laughs> they use that money to go hire famous names in the industry who are going to feed them the same 
stuff that's been ignored and allowed bit shares to come out of nowhere to take over two thirds of the industry, right? So most of these banks are hiring people that are telling them they need mining and they don't need mining. Uh, mining is a minority in the industry right now, but they just don't know. And therefore all their money is being poured down the wrong technical channels um, because the only people they hire are people that have an ax to grind in those other communities. So it's uh, it's kind of amusing to me to see uh, all that horsepower being misdirected. But, you know, I'm sure some of them, you know, will wake up at some point and certainly they have the resources to close the gap in a hurry. I do know that there's a couple of them that are looking at the, the uh, real-time technologies uh, that Dan has invented. And uh, so they're wise to do that. And I'm certainly willing to help them uh, to understand the benefits of using you know, modern technology as opposed to the you know, first-generation prototype technology using mining. And, of course, that was another question that people asked me on there, you know, uh, what, what is wrong with mining? Or, or, you know, why are you saying mining is history? It's a statement of simple gist of mining before you sign in the block. Stop. The, uh, the system decides who's going to sign the next block uh, before the uh, previous block is completed so we can instantly jump and sign the next block. And therefore, the only limitations to its speed are the speed of light and the size of the planet. Uh, how long do we, does it take to guarantee that we can get a message to every node on every point on the planet? And that gets us down into the uh, 1.5 second average transaction time in three second blocks uh, that that uh, BitShares has. And yeah, that can be squeezed down another second or so. But uh, meanwhile, everybody who's doing mining is uh, you know wasting time having a mine off. <laughs> between every block and, and that's just you know fundamentally limiting in terms of uh, how those systems can work so the, the competition between the miners is really that's the drawback at this point is that correct yeah the thing that uh, people don't really realize is that the bitcoin industry is not about money transmission it's about mining and they're not going to they're in it to make money mining and the fact that it provides uh, a useful feature for people to use is nice uh it's how it's a reason for existing maybe but um the fact is those people who run that industry mining are never going to give up mining because that's why the industry exists meanwhile people who want just light speed transactions and scalability to all the world's transactions say well i don't really care whether there's mining or not give me the efficient algorithms that will accomplish that function and uh and and so you're going to see a a uh, divergence, if you will, and I, I predict mining will become kind of a boutique industry. It'll have some special purposes, but the bulk of the world has to go on uh, to something else because Bitcoin and Ethereum are already mostly saturated. They can't take any more business without coming to a standstill and getting a backlog. Okay. I'm, um, I'm interested to know from the conference, you shared a lot of information. What was the maybe one to three things that were most valuable to you that you took away from the conference? Oh, so, uh, you know, uh, you know, there were a lot of good speakers there and, you know, uh, I was delighted at how many people showed up for the conference. Uh, you know, as I looked at it, the people who were talking about how to do ICOs and who had looked into the issues of, you know, how to be compliant and stay safe in a regulatory uh, way, I think that was the most useful thing. 
anything that was talking about more mining technology or anything, of course, I have a, a biased view of is that we don't need to be pursuing mining. It's a dead end. But people who were talking about how to take a token and make it so that it can be uh, used globally and safely uh, and, and issued by, by people who are thinking about doing that, I thought all that was useful. People who had had experience talking to regulators and understanding their concerns, that was a good educational thing and probably the most useful thing of the conference. Seems like 2018 is the theme seems to be regulation. What are your what are your thoughts on that? I would go a little bit broader than that. The theme is flight to safety. Okay, uh, the industry okay. took enormous risks last year with ICOs that were not well founded legally, and uh, a whole lot of people that are holding a whole lot of uh, assets that are not high quality assets are going to be looking for somewhere else to park their money. Uh, when you fly when you flee to safety. You need to fly to high-quality tokens that are not going to result in your assets being seized uh, because the uh, the uh, ICO was done in a manner that is illegal. So I think it's not so much about regulation, although that's a part of it, but it's about anything that provides a place for people to go park all that money they made uh, when everything starts to sort of come apart due to uh, the scandals that are going to happen from those other ICOs, the crackdowns um, from regulators uh, intervening and all that, and then the great train wreck of running out of bandwidth on Bitcoin and Ethereum when 200 new companies are coming on, each of which are capable of saturating the network separately. Um, and as all those things hit and find that they can't be supported by what they were told to build on, then a whole bunch of companies are going to be scrambling to switch to something that's real time. And uh, there's really only one place to go right now. Uh, so this history uh, this year will have those three factors uh, all driving. And every one of them is escaping from uh, danger into safety. And so that's what I would say is the big thing. And it's been really great talking with you today. I wonder if you have any final thoughts before we wrap well, I sure hope you uh, invite me back next time. I'd uh, love to be there. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed the uh, venue. I thought it was a well-done uh, event, and I hope you do many more. Thank you so much. Stan Larimer with Cryptonomics.com. And we will look forward to seeing everybody here on the future podcast next time. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review and discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.